Good morning. It's good to be back with you again after our uh, trip last weekend. It was a trip well made and and well needed, actually, to see our family in Kansas and see our uh, granddaughter graduate from high school. So thank you for your prayers. They were very much felt and uh, and appreciated while we were traveling. Well, today we're continuing our study in 1 Corinthians. Today we're in chapter 15. We'll look at verses 1 through 34 next week, which will be our last Sunday this year in our regular Sunday school. And the next Sunday, the summer Sunday school, all adult summer Sunday school will begin. And then we'll come back together again in September when, uh, when individual Sunday schools start back again. So this morning, 1 through 34, 15, we'll finish 15 next week, and I'll also touch on 16. There are a couple of verses there that I think is very important for us to, uh, to be aware of and to acknowledge and to implement in our Christian lives. So let's begin by reading through the scripture. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 34. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so I preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, 
Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have this marvelous passage in front of us today, and we'll complete it next week as we continue to revel in this teaching, uh, the, the clearest and most definitive teaching in the New Testament regarding the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. We thank you for it. Would you be our guide today? Help us to discover in it those things that we need to know in order to live the Christian life effectively and well and pleasing to you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're looking at the resurrection, the resurrection, first of all, of Christ, and then the fact that that guarantees the resurrection of believers, uh, the resurrection of the dead following the resurrection of Christ. So let's begin our time of class discussion, and we'll look first of all at the key verse. So I ask you to look and find the key verse in this passage, in these 34 verses, that best describe the content of the passage, or you think is the most important verse, or that best helps you to understand, or best helps you to live the Christian life. Mike. Verses 13 and 14. I mean, if I had to pick one, I'd pick 14, but 13 and 14 go together. Okay. Uh, so you're going to expand the instructions a little bit and do two verses instead of well, one I verse. Say 14 if you make me pick one. <laughs> uh, verse 13 says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And I agree, those two go together quite well. Why did you pick those? It's the whole point of the whole chapter. Okay. In my opinion. Very good. That's a great summary, a great summary of the content of that, of that whole passage. Thank you. Yeah. If I, uh, I 
Carolyn and I have gone with uh, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Okay, good. And why? <clears throat> well, because exercise is uh, raising a price, and basically that setting the example of the best that you're showing the first fruits. First fruits, I guess, my understanding being kind of the best of what's to come. So you have a harvest, you know, usually the harvest times, that's like, you know, you kind of like bring forth and say, you know, here's the first fruits. Obviously, we're going to be processing the rest, but you get a taste of what's to come. Right. And that's a good description of it. First fruits is the is the taste of what is to come. And so it's the resurrection of Christ as the first fruits that implies that there's going to be more fruit. And that more fruit is us. It's believers who are going to be raised again when he comes again the second time. Okay, very good. Uh, what other verses did people find that... that yes. Uh, 17. Okay, and why that? Because that the whole basis of everything we believe in, right? Christ who have risen from the dead. Yeah, it's the it's the futility. If you if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we're still in our sins, because the Scripture makes the resurrection uh, very much God's stamp of approval upon the work that Christ has done for us in, in, in paying the penalty for our sins. And so the resurrection is exceedingly important within that context. So we are still in our sins if indeed Christ has not been raised from the dead. Anyone else, uh, Chuck? Uh, I like verse 3, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to Okay, and why that? My reasoning is sort of like diagramming sentences. I feel like this is just, here's what I'm going to tell you, and then everything else. Right. So to me, it was like a, it was like a cornerstone or a pivot point for the rest of the world. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at that verse. It's it's kicking off all the rest of it. It's it's telling us what's coming. And, and this whole passage, he says, I delivered unto you, that which is of first importance. So this is the most important thing. And he sets forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now there are other elements of the gospel. We'll talk about it in a minute in more detail. But here he lists uh, four, I think, of the main elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, what it constitutes. So I think uh, it would be fine to go on with four there also, and have, um, and probably at least the first part of five, to, to have the full explication there of the gospel and the emphasis being upon the resurrection, which he is now going to go into more detail about. Okay, great. Uh, let me show you my verse. So I pick verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So here is Christ, the representative, uh, or here is Adam, the representative of the human race. And he sins, and that sin is imputed to the whole of the human race. All have a sin nature because of Adam's sin. 
And then corresponding to that, the second man, Christ, uh, makes us alive by his actions in paying the penalty for our sins and also in being raised from the dead, which is God's approval upon that. Now, I couldn't stay with one verse either. I had to go to two. So, 21, because I think those two are coordinate. For as a man came death, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So this this verse 22 is about the resurrection. 21 makes it so. And it's the first man versus the second man. And one of our discussion questions is going to be in a minute, who's all? What does it mean when it says all? We'll talk about that in a second. So let's look at the three discussion questions. Now I slipped a few extra ones in there by making the first discussion question have four parts. But verses 1 through 11 is the explication of the gospel of Jesus Christ, emphasizing the resurrection. And Paul reminds the Corinthians of the gospel there that he preached to them when he was in Corinth. So first question, in verses 1 and 2, what were the results of his preaching among them? Verses 1 and 2. Who wants to answer that for us? Yes. They were saved. They were saved. That's certainly one of the important things that it says there. Anything else? Oh, and, and it wasn't that they were saved. They are being saved, aren't they? It's a process. It's ongoing. Uh, salvation has tenses. We There was a time when we were saved, when we uh, were regenerated and believed and were justified. But now we are in the process of being saved. That's sanctification as we become more and more like Christ and as we look forward to the fact that Christ is coming again. And at that time, we will be fully and completely saved. So it's a process and it's, and it's punctiliar also. It happened, it's ongoing, it will happen completely when Christ comes again. So salvation with tense is here. They are being saved. What else do you see there in one and two? Believers stand on the truth that is preached. Okay. So they, Paul, they stand on that. We, we know from, from this passage in 15, Paul's emphasis upon the Scripture. He preached the Scripture to the Corinthians, and they heard that, and they were saved. They also, it says, I preach the gospel to you, which you received. So they received the gospel in which you stand. So there was a standing, a firmness, a planting in that gospel. And then you were you are being saved. And and then unless you hold, uh, if you hold fast, unless you believed in vain. So they received it. They are standing in it, and they are being saved. So all of those are an indication that they did receive the gospel and they were saved. Despite all of the problems 
that the Corinthians had, and there were many that, as we've seen in our study of, of uh, 1 Corinthians, and despite the problems we'll see as we continue through this passage here, they were actually saved people. So the if you hold fast to the word, that's the perseverance of the saints. We hold fast to the to the gospel that we have received because the grace of God enables us to do that, the perseverance of the saints, unless you believed in vain. If you just say you did, but you didn't really. It's, it's a, a vain. And the fact that they received it, standing in it, and they're being saved indicates that that was not the case, at least for the vast majority of those. In verse 3, from what sources did he receive this information? Verse 3 says, I delivered you as of first importance what I also received. So this is not an invention of Paul. Paul's teaching is that which he himself has received. So what were the sources that he received that from? And I gave you a number of verses, and I have to confess that I got in a hurry trying to get the email out by Wednesday, and I had other verses I intended to add to that that I think are as important or maybe more important, and I forgot to add them. And so I've added one of them here that, that was not in your email that we'll talk about in a second. So what do these verses tell us the source of his teaching was coming from? Well... The scripture, I think, is indicated in these verses. Isaiah 53 is certainly uh, a, a prophetic uh, pronouncement of the, of the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. We esteemed him as stricken, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his words... We are healed. And then as we go down further in that passage, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. He pays the penalty by dying on the cross. He's buried. He's raised again. The fact that it says that he will be satisfied indicates a continuing life. And so it doesn't say he's going to be raised again explicitly, but it certainly implies it by his being satisfied, uh, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Uh, you can't divide the spoil, the, the reward for accomplishing uh, his, his assignment unless you continue to live. And so there's an implication here of the, of the uh, resurrection, but certainly of the gospel as a whole. Jonah says that Jonah was in the, in the belly of the great fish for three days. Matthew applies that. Matthew says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he goes on to talk about how he preached from the scriptures and how Christ taught the apostles these things. Now, and, Christ, and Paul had concourse with the other apostles. Remember, he went to Jerusalem on two occasions and, and had concourse with them. So he could very well have, have received that from them. And then 
the thing that I left out of your email and the thing that maybe is most important here is Galatians 1, 11, and 12, where Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from men, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. It was a direct revelation of Jesus to Paul that, that gave him the content of his ministry as an apostle. Third question. Paul lists several components of his preaching of the gospel in 3 through 8. What are they? What are the components of that gospel of Jesus Christ? Let me, in the interest of time, we're running out here. So let me, let me uh, answer that. For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. He died. He was buried, the second thing. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared, the confirmation the proof that he was raised from the dead. He appeared and then it lists all the people here. Not not everybody. He doesn't include the women at the tomb. But he mentions Cephas. He mentions particular importance, 500 who saw him at one time. And most of them still alive. So the recipients of this letter could go and ask, you know, were you there? Did you see this? Is it really true? Um, so there are at least four components of the gospel. He was buried, or excuse me, he died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He rose again according to the scripture. And then he appeared after his resurrection. Uh, and all of that according to the scripture. Last part of this question, number one, in verses 10 through 11, what is the evidence given that God's grace toward Paul was not in vain. 10 and 11. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, he says, so here's, here's the proof coming up. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So what does he give there is the evidence that God's grace was not in vain in him? Yes. Well, his work, I mean, I just thought about, here's an incredible testimony. It's a former persecutor of Christians right. who's now zealous and zealous evangelist for the grace of God in his resurrection. Yes. There's nothing, humanly speaking, that can explain that. Yes. It has to be God. And that's yes, very good. No way to explain it in human terms, that, that how that would have come about. Uh, Paul says the contrary part is, I worked harder than any of them. Uh, I think we could read that as being, I worked harder than all of the other apostles put together. But he qualifies that. I worked harder than any of them, he says, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Here's a wonderful example of the fact that what God calls us to do he also enables us to do. So Paul, uh, God enabled Paul uh, to work, and, and Paul endured much suffering, much difficulty, 
he was tireless in what he did. Uh, and we know that from all of the accounts that we have that he's given us of the, of the problem. He references Ephesus here in one part of our passage where he was particularly put upon by the people in that city. Um, great difficulty. God enabled him to do that. He didn't do it. It wasn't in him to do it. God enabled him. Okay, question number two. In verses 1 through 34, so this whole passage, what negative consequences are there for denying the resurrection of the dead? What'd you see? That's all in vain. Everything, our, our faith is in vain. Uh, the, the, the whole thing, yes. We're still, We're still in our sins. Yeah, he says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection? If there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Because Christ was a man. He was fully man and fully God. But he was a man. And he was raised from the dead. If if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ also could not have been raised. And that kicks off all of these negative consequences. Uh, Paul's preaching, it says, is in vain. Your faith is in vain. <coughs> the apostles are all liars for going around saying that they wouldn't remember the qualification. One of the qualifications for being an apostle was you have seen the risen Christ. So they're all teaching this. They misrepresent God. Uh, they're liars because they testify to that. Uh, <clears throat> so not even Christ has been raised from the dead. If the dead aren't raised, if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Those that have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If this is it, and when we die, it's all over, what's the point of this? And we are of all people most to be pitied, if that's the case, and it is not. What are the positive consequences of the truth? Well, in verses uh, 20 and following, Christ has been raised from the dead, he says. The first fruits, first fruits implies that there's more to come. Um, and he sets forth uh, uh, the relationship between Adam and Christ, Adam the first man, Christ the second man. And uh, he talks about the first fruits from, from some more. Now, each one comes in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. And then death will be the last enemy. All of his enemies will be destroyed. Death will be the last enemy to be destroyed. And all things will be placed in subjection under God, that he may be all in all. Number three, in verse 22, who are the all who are made alive? Now, verse 22, 
says, For as in Adam all die, this is that relationship between Adam and Christ. Adam is representative of, of mankind. And as in Adam all die, all of mankind inherited a sin nature. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Does that mean that all of mankind will be made alive? Yes. Yeah, okay. Very good. It's those whom whom God has given to the Son. Uh, there are different meanings of the word all. All can be all of this or all of that or all of everything. So you have to look at the context. And actually the answer to that question is in the context of the very next verse. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, who? Those who belong to Christ. So, so it's all those who belong to Christ. It is to him, that is to Jesus Christ, that all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him has forgiveness of sins in his name. So the Old Testament gives, gives voice to that, to that fact and uh, and and it, it plays out here as being just those who believe, those who are given to Christ by the Father. So let's look very briefly at our outline, long passage, but two points. The two points are the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of believers. Uh, we looked in detail at verses 1 through 11 in our discussion question. We have there a reminder of the gospel in verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I've delivered to you that which I also received. It's the gospel. He gives the content of the gospel, which is four things, he says. Not everything, but four things that he mentions here. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried he rose again the third day according to, our, to the scriptures and then he was seen. He appeared. So four things. Grace in the gospel in verses 9 to 11. It was by the grace of God that Paul was enabled to do uh, these things. He could not have done it on his own. And then in verses 12, and, and that should be verse 12, through 34. This whole section is the resurrection of believers. But then I've divided that into two separate units because I think the negative consequences occur in 12 through 19. And then it picks up again with a negative in 29 through 34. And then it gives the positive in verses 20 through 28. So if we, if we break it down that way, the consequences of denial are in verses 12 through 19, the futility of faith. What does it all mean if Christ is not raised from the dead? What does it all mean if we are not raised from the dead? Our faith is futile if that is the case. And then those last passages, last few verses, the emptiness of life. Life is absolutely empty. It has no meaning if there is no resurrection. So 29 through 34, uh, why are we in danger every hour? 
I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. Paul says, this is hard. What do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. Uh, that's a, Those are metaphorical beasts, I think. I don't think he actually was thrown to the beast in Ephesus because he was a Roman citizen and he couldn't do that. Uh, but he's considering the people who opposed him in Ephesus as being like wild beasts. And he's saying, I fought with the beast in Ephesus. Why would I put up with that if, if, this, if there's no resurrection? Um, he goes on to say here, if the dead are not raised, what is our philosophy of life? It must be, let us eat and drink. Tomorrow we die. It's all over. It has no meaning. Eat, drink, and be merry. That has to be the, the meaning of life if there's no resurrection. Yes. Okay, um, what about those that are not saved? Are they, they not also have new bodies which are uh, going to suffer? Yes, the second death. Yeah. They will be raised again, judged, and then ultimately cast into the lake of fire with Satan. Right. It's a bodily existence. But we have reason to live because we have Christ. We've been saved from our sins. We look forward to his second coming, which will, if, if we're alive, well and good. Uh, all the better, I think, if we're alive when he comes again. But if we die we will be raised again and it will be a bodily resurrection just like he is uh, embodied. Christ has a body and we will have glorified bodies. We'll talk more about that next week. So in verses 20 through 28, the conquest of death. We've seen the consequences of denial. Now here's the conquest of death. We have the comparison of Adam and Christ, each representative. Uh, the first man, Adam, Christ is the first fruits, implying more to come. Then the last enemy, all enemies of God are going to be destroyed. The very last one is death. That's the, I, I suppose we could say that's the greatest positive consequence of of uh, resur the resurrection is that death will be defeated. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Uh, Paul mocks death there. And then the final subjection, all things are ultimately going to be placed under God. So even Christ, to whom all things have been given, and all authority has been given, he will deliver all of that back to God the Father, and then even Christ will be in subjection under the Father. All still co-equal, all still of the same essence, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but there is an order uh, of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and a, and a submission within the Godhead of those Persons. Christ obeyed God and fulfilled his 
wishes, his will, by coming to the earth and dying for the sins of those to whom God had given him. And what a great passage. What a great encouragement it should be for us to read through this. And an even further great encouragement when we read the rest of, uh, of chapter 15. What a great encouragement it is to read this entire book of 1 Corinthians. As laden with it is with error that Paul is correcting, the correction of those errors are glorious. And, and, and Paul sets forth a gospel that is fruitful. It is not in vain. We have reason to live. And those who do not have the promise of the resurrection really have no reason. It's eat, drink, and be merry for them. It's come quickly, Lord Jesus, for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this passage. I pray that you would go with us now throughout this week. Remind us this coming week of, of these things that we've studied today. I pray that you would give us the time to look into the remainder of chapter 15 and read through also chapter 16 to be prepared for what's coming next week. Uh, we, we thank you again for this great book and for the opportunity that we have had to study it. I pray that you would continue to guide us through the conclusion of it next week. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.